It says this, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to, t uh, to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor, honor the one who serves me. For my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and, had said, and, and they said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? This is God's word to us. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. Thank you so much for bearing the elements this morning and being here with us. You know, it's, uh, it's always good to be able to have church and be together and, and join together in something that really is a powerful thing. Church is the place where we gather to be blessed and to be encouraged and to be strengthened, be served by God. Amen? So I'm glad you were able to make it out this morning and bear those elements. It's actually more snow out there than I had thought. <laughs> so it's, uh, yes, we have lots of snow. All right, we're back in the Gospel of John. We spent the better part of the fall in the, in the Gospel of John going through it systematically. And it's, it's always encouraging. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump around a little bit between now and Easter. But obviously, as we get closer to Easter, we will be back in the Gospel of John looking at the, the Easter story through John's lens and John's eyes. But it's also, it's interesting with, the, with his Gospel. It doesn't always happen so overtly, but John gives this exact reason why he wrote his book, why he wrote his account. And if you go with me to John chapter 20, verse 31, it says this. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So two things we see there. We see this. Reading the Gospel of John will cause belief to come into our heart. Amen? Come on, who needs more belief in God? There's times we struggle. There's times sometimes I feel like, oh, I hardly believe. Then there's next day, I just feel like I could believe for the mountains to be moved. Amen? But this is what the Gospel of John promises. Belief will grow in our heart. But it also says this. So it says that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the second promise John gives us is this. Number one, you'll believe but number two, you'll begin to experience God's life for you. Amen? So some people have said, the Gospel of John is a great book for not yet Christians. And they're right. They're absolutely right because it can cause belief. But for those of us who are believers, what's the promise? Life. 
Friends, as believers, do you know what the great journey is? To find the life that God has for us, to experience it in every, in every place. I didn't say, I didn't say this. I didn't say to find a stress-free life. I didn't say to find a trouble-free life because there's no promise in the Bible that you can have a stress-free, trouble-free life. Bring all your cares onto him, cast your cares on him, accept his peace. That's a process. That's a journey that we go through all the time. We continually do that, amen? But to have his life, to find yourself in a situation where you say, God, this is you. I'm in, a, I'm in a place where only you can deliver me. I'm in a situation where only you can do something for me. Friends, that's a, that's a wonderful place to be. All right, so I always like to give that little recap. And as we begin today, we see something interesting back in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Jesus' disciples get this request from some Greeks. And they're at the, they're at the Passover festival, so that's what the festivals are talking about. And this, these, these non-Jewish people. Now, we have to remember this. Jesus tells us his ministry was to the children of Israel. So Jesus' entire ministry, as we know it, was to Israel, was to the Jewish people. Rarely he went outside of that. Now, there's a couple examples where he dealt with the Samaritan woman. Well, the truth is, she was half Jewish. That's what a Samaritan was. But we're not going to get dig into all that today. So there were times that he did certain things for the, for the, Roman, or the Roman centurion. He says, whoa, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. But those were sort of one-off little things. So we find this interesting thing that these Greeks come to Jesus, and obviously they're not Jewish, and they want to talk to him. And we don't actually know from this text if they get the chance to talk to Jesus. But we do know this, and let's, let's pick it up in, in John chapter 12, verse 20. It says, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, 21. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, uh, we would like to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Verse 23, here's Christ's response. Or I read that really fast. It's, get to the point. Verse 23 says this. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Isn't it interesting? It's, it's almost a little bit strange, to be honest with you. Jesus gets a, a request from these Greek men to come have a conversation. And what he sees is, whoa, the hour has come. My hour is upon me. It's interesting that as these non-Jewish people came to Jesus, it triggered something in Jesus. It triggered a moment. It triggered God. It triggered his destiny. It triggered his future. Friends, how many people do you have in your life that have been what I'm going to call trigger connections? You've had someone come into your life who triggered something in you. Maybe you had someone come into your life before you were a believer, and they, they challenged you. They triggered something in you. They triggered a desire to look for Jesus. They triggered a desire to come to church. They triggered a desire to start reading your Bible. Something triggered. Maybe you've had someone come into your life, and it triggered your destiny. Maybe it triggered something that God had put in you. I remember as a little kid, this is just my story. I'm not saying it has to be everyone's story. We all have our own story. As a little kid, I was raised Catholic. And from the time I was four or five years old, I would tell everyone, I'm going to be a priest when I grow up. I'm going to be a priest when I grow up. That's what I did until I was 12. Then I just said, I can't be a priest anymore. Now, some of you are saying, why could you not be a priest? I hit puberty and I realized I cannot be a priest anymore. But you see, but think. Think about this now. How does God speak to a little kid who's Catholic? 
I had no idea there was, there was something outside of the Catholic Church. I had no clue. So if God was calling a, a little five-year-old kid to ministry, what else is he going to use other than what I know? So it wasn't until I was 16 that I realized, oh my goodness, there's something else out there. So then all of a sudden, God brought someone into my life. My very first pastor was outside the Catholic Church. At 16, he's like, I think God's calling you to ministry. I'm like, what? It kind of freaked me out because my whole life I thought I was going to be a priest. So it was sort of like a bit of this confirmation, but in a very strange way for me. That was a trigger for me. That, 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 he was a wonderful pastor, came and, and said something into my life that directed the rest of my destiny. That's powerful. Who, who has come into your life with that kind of a, a little a thought, a suggestion, a truth? Now, let's turn the, car, the table the other way around. Who is in your life and you can be that trigger for them? Maybe there's people in your life today, friends, where you say, man, God has given me this relationship with this person. I don't even know why we connect. We're so different, but we just seem to connect. It's, it's strange. It happens to Rachel and I all the time. We'll have these relationships with people that really we don't have a natural common connection, yet there's just this love and this, 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 this real connection. So I say this to us. Be open to two things. If you're a notator, you can write this down. Number one, the people God brings into your life. Pay attention to that. Don't let that just fly by. Say, oh, well, that was nice. No, no, no. God works through relationship. God works through community. So think about this. God, th th these Greek men come to Jesus, and it triggers something in Jesus. Jesus knew his destiny. Jesus knew his purpose. They weren't telling him what he was supposed to do. They just want to have a conversation. But Christ said, uh-oh, it's getting bigger. So what did Jesus realize in that, in that moment when these Greek men came? He said, oh, this thing is about to bust out of the Jewish, uh, Jewish community. God's about to begin a new community. God's going to build something new. Friends, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is. It's something new. Where ethnicity... Uh, social position, economic position has no bearing. Whether you're a business owner or an employee has no bearing. Whether you're retired or a child has no bearing. That's the community God builds. So Jesus realized with these Greek people coming, this thing was starting to get attractive. And it was getting attractive beyond the Jewish people. Does that make sense? So two things to remember. Be aware of the people God brings into your life. And be aware that maybe you're a trigger for somebody. Maybe you have something to say to somebody. Maybe you live where you live, not by accident, but by God's design. Maybe there's neighbors right down your street that you're supposed to be a trigger for. What have you done? How can you reach? How can you engage? How can you connect? How can you love? How can you give God's love to them? Because, friends, we all need trigger. And here's the reality. God works through community. You see it time and time and time again in the Bible. And even in, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this to the church in Galatia. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Oh, there we go. See, I caught Marco back there. He was, he was doing for I caught Marco napping. I, he may not have been napping. I'm not going to say Marco's napping. There we go. Galatians 3.26, it says this. So in Christ, now look at this. This is talking to Christians. It's talking to believers. It says, in Christ, 
You are all children of God. Now hold that there, Marco. What does that imply? It's actually, it's, it's less than an implication and more than a truth. He says, you are children of God, which implies a family. He says, you're a family. There's something new happening. God is creating a, a new covenant community, a new Christian community. So he says, in Christ, you're all children of God through faith. Next verse, Marco. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He says, so once you've been baptized into Christ, once something has happened in here, so he says something has happened on the inside of us, he says, now you're clothed with Christ. Well, what do you see of me today? You see my clothes. You see something on the outside. So he's saying this, this Christian community, this new covenant community is going to be baptized on the inside. There's people who are going to be changed on the inside, but they're also going to look different on the outside. There's going to be something about them on the outside that looks different from everything else. So what's Jesus saying? He says what's going to look different is there's going to be Jews, there's going to be Greeks, there's going to be Romans, there's going to be slaves, there's going to be free people, there's going to be masters, and this is going to be the church. Could you imagine, now come on, slight rabbit trail, but good one. Could you imagine the challenges of the early church? I know, I know, we like to glorify and magnify and, and say the early church was perfect. No, 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 think. Think about the early church. You would have had Roman soldiers whose job it was to keep the Jewish people quiet. Roman soldiers whose job it was to silence the Christians when they're in community. Yet these same people would have gone to church. And then you would have had masters who had slaves. Well, what would happen when the master got saved and the slave got saved, but God called the slave to be the master's pastor? Oh. Think about that. So God, if you notice in, in, in the epistles, Paul is continually talking to the church. He talks to the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus. Why? What's he doing? He's helping them understand how to function in this community. So he's constantly addressing potential challenges. So here's another one. He says, you were baptized. Something changed. So he says, put on the clothes. Make yourself look like Christ. Put something on. Verse 28, Marco. He says, there is neither. I love this. I love this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Gentile is non-Jew. Uh, neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? So this is the new community that Christ is building. So when this trigger connection comes into Jesus' life, these Greek men, Jesus says, Whoa, the new community is about to get started, and it's going to look nothing like you Jewish people are used to. Get ready. Isn't it? Because you have to think about this. It was so strange for non-Jewish people to come to Jesus that think, the disciples are like, ah, you're Greeks. Why do you want to talk to Jesus? He's our Savior, not yours. They didn't get it. They didn't get that he was the Savior of the world. They thought, no, no, he's our Savior. It's a Jewish people's Savior. Come on. He says, no, no, no. There's something bigger happening. So this is what I love in the Gospel of John. John is what? Causing belief for all people. So look, as we read this as non-Jewish people, maybe you're Jewish, maybe there's some Jewish among us today, most of us are probably non-Jewish people. This is hope for us. 
This is hope for your neighbors. This is hope for people in your life. This is hope for people who've never been to church. There's hope for them. This is hope for people who've never heard the gospel. There's hope for them. Amen? Here we go. So we're all children. So Paul's reference is this. This community is a family. We're sons and daughters of Christ. Back to John, verse 23, John 12. Verse 23, it says this. It says, Jesus replied, the hour has come and the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat dies and falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus has these trigger, uh, this trigger connection with these Greeks who really reala- helps him realize, no, no, my time is now. Who are those people in our life? So Jesus is showing us what? That his death is about to bring something. His death is about to do something. He says, and he uses this example of farming. He says, if you take a seed, and he says a kernel of wheat, and you put it in the ground, it dies. But because it dies, it gives life to many. So he's about, now he, he sort of, he changes the topic from this, from this community, and he says, now, now, here's what is, what's essential. What's going to draw this community together, what's going to build this community is my death. Have you ever noticed this? The gospel is full of this, death and resurrection. Now, have you ever realized your life is full of death and resurrection? Come on. Do you know what I find hard? I find hard letting things die. I want to keep them alive as long as I can. But sometimes things have to die. Why? So new life can come. So resurrection life can come. The disciples had no clue, really, what Jesus' ultimate purpose was. Even though he said it over and over again, he says, my purpose is to die. My purpose is to give my life. And, and they said, oh, give your life. Well, yeah, you got to go preach to all the people. you got to give your life to all the people. No, it was deeper. So he takes one more step. He says, something has to die in order for there to be life. Friends, let me ask you this this morning. Is there something in your life that God is trying to kill, but you're trying to keep alive? Come on. What is it? Can I encourage you? Let it die. Because you know what the fruit is? Life. How do we know when we're trying to keep something alive? We use our energy, our strength, our might, our wisdom, our power, every tool in our hand to keep the thing alive instead of taking our hands off and saying, God, let it go. Because you know what? When you can say, let it go, you're not letting it go. You're letting it go to God. And then what happens? Life. Only when there's death can there be resurrection life. Come on, go with me to, to um, I, I have to jump a little bit. Go, go to Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. If you have your Bibles, go there. Look at this, Mark chapter 8. It says this. I'm jumping around a little bit, Marco, sorry. Mark 8, it says this. Then he called a crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, themselves, and take up their cross and follow me. Hold that, Marco. 
Isn't it interesting? He says, to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross. Your cross. Now, the cross is the symbol of death. It's on the cross, friends, that Christ gave his life. It's on the cross. It's the cross that he carried to Golgotha where he was, where he was crucified for our salvation. He says this, to be my disciple, there's going to be things that come into our life that cause us to die. But friends, that's only part of the news. Without the cross, there could be no resurrection. Without you and I picking up our cross, picking up the thing, friends, that is designed by God, listen to me, designed by God to kill you. That sounds crazy, but it's powerful because it's in death, in death. Everybody say death. death. It's in death where you will see the power of God. It's where we say, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to love people who are unlovely. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to pick up my cross today and forgive that person who hurt me, abused me, mistreated me. I'm going to carry the cross and forgive them. Friends, that's a cross. I'm going I'm to love, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm love myself. For some people, that's a cross. What is the thing that you're, what is your cross? What is the thing designed by God to kill something in us? It's not that God just wants to kill us. He wants to give us his life. He wants to give us so much more. But we're holding on to this thing that we're so familiar with. Let it do its job. Amen? Let the cross in your life do its job. Let it bring you to the end. Where you say, I'm hopeless, it's over, it's done. And watch what God does. Watch what God does. God will show up in that moment and do something that you never imagined. You will have some sort of resurrection life. And let me tell you, it won't be seed for seed. That's not how resurrection happens. Resurrection life is what Jesus just said. A grain of of wheat goes into the ground. It dies but produces more. If you want to walk in the, the the fullness of what Christ has for you, understand this, there has to be a certain death. There has to be. And you know what the reality is? Here's the tough one. It's a small crowd. You, you really wanted to get to church today, so I give you the truth. The reality is you're going to see this throughout your life. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to see that now I have to die here. <sighs> now I have to die here. <sighs> now I'm dying here. But it's in, you'll notice in your Christian life, it's like parallel train tracks. <sighs> you go from blessing to death. Death to blessing. Blessing to, you say, how's life? Life is awesome. Psh, next week, death. But it's right there. It's not like, now all of a sudden, oh, I'm in death. No, no, it's right there. You just jump from blessing to death. That's how your life works. Look at it. Evaluate it. Yeah, I, as, I, as I reflect on our life, originalized lives, I see this constant parallel, constant reality of death to life. Horrible news to fantastic news, terrible experiences that we didn't want, to blessings from those same experiences. Some of the things we didn't even want in our life, the things that were hardest for us to even get our heads around, have turned out to be the greatest blessings in our life. Some things we prayed against and hoped and prayed that God would change this, change this, and he didn't. 
who say, thank God he didn't change that. Because now we have this. We have something better. Is this making sense today? This is the community Christ wants to build. This is this, is this beautiful thing. Let's keep reading in verse 25 in John 12. It says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my father will also, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who, who serves me. You know, it's an interesting question. Who gets the glory in this life? Because as we pick up our cross, we don't get the glory. We get death. God gets the glory because he brings life. A friend of mine had said he, he was reading this book, and he was sort of on this, this topic as we're discussing. And the guy in the book had used this example. He said, whose party is it? Question mark. And he gives this little, this little analogy. He says, you know, this parent had taken their little, their five-year-old boy to a birthday party. And as he went to the birthday party, there was all his, this little other boy's friends there. And there was this big mound of presents just waiting for that little boy to open. And, the, and they were over on the table, there was these little party favors. You know, parents like to do that, give a little party favor as you go home. So you bring a gift, and then you get a little party favor on your way out. And the little boy was looking at the pile over there, looking at the party favors, looked at the pile, looked at the party favors, and said to his mom, this sucks. I don't want that. I want that. And the mom looked at the little boy and says, yeah, but buddy, it's not your birthday. It's his birthday. All you do is you get to enjoy being at his birthday. Let me ask you this. Whose party are you at? Your life. Whose party is it? Let me give you a little secret. When we celebrate Christ, when we celebrate Jesus, when we celebrate the resurrection, when we celebrate the gospel, friends, we're at Christ's party. And all we get to do is receive the benefits of being at Christ's party. Don't forget it's Christ's party. Don't make your faith about you. It's not my party. It's not how awesome my life's going to be. No, no. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. I'll tell you this. I guarantee you this. The more you focus on Christ, the more you say it's Jesus, the more you say it's the gospel, the more you say it's the word, the more you pray, the more you trust in him, the greater your life's going to be. The more you make your life about you, the more miserable you'll be. Look what he says. Look what he says in John 12. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Pause. Look at this, verse 25. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. What is love? Love is this, to serve and to sacrifice for something or someone else. What is John saying? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying this. If you just serve and sacrifice for your life, he says you're going to lose your life. What does he mean by that, lose your life? He says you're not going to find the life God has for you. Because all you're living your life for is you. As Christians, as believers, we're not, I'm not the focus. I'm not here to just lift up Randy and serve and, 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 and give everything to myself. Love is service and sacrifice. So he says this, 
Anyone who serves and sacrifices for their own life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life, that's, that's a powerful word, but, word, but John want, Jesus wants to really see the, 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 the distance between those two. Whoever hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what is he saying? He's saying learn to serve someone else. Learn this. Life's not about you. It's not your party. Amen? I got to finish. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Start in verse... I didn't give you this, Mark, did I? 2 Corinthians 12, verses 6 to 10. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. Probably by the time I get there, Mark may have something up on the screen behind me. You will let me know if it gets there. And I I, I love what Paul says and how Paul says this. And we're going to end with this verse, these verses. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 6. Paul says this. Even if I should choose to boast, I would, be a fool. I, would not, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Do you have them up there? Oh, there we go. But even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Next verse, Mark. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. So Paul's saying, I could boast. A lot has happened in my life. A lot of has happened through my ministry. If there's anyone who can boast, it's me. This is what Paul's saying. He says, now I've had these surpassingly great revelations. Hard to argue with that statement. The man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Amen? So we're getting some truth here. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, now look at this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, where are you weak? Where are you weak in life? Are you weak in your relationships? Are you weak in your finances? Are you weak in your health? Are you weak in your love? Are you weak in your forgiveness? Where are you weak? Where do you find yourself struggling to make things, certain things happen? Maybe this is an opportunity for God to be strong. Last verse. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now just let that verse sink in. Paul says this, I delight in weaknesses. Do you know how contrary that is to our current state of the world? What do we celebrate? We celebrate the self-made man, the self-made woman. That's what we lift up. That's so contrary to what Paul says. Paul says, I delight. Now think about that word. When were you last delighted with something? And I'm sure it wasn't what Paul said. Because Paul says, I was delighted in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship. Were you you delighted the last time someone insulted you? 
Were you delighted the last time you found a hardship? Were you delighted the last time you were under persecution? Were you delighted about that? In difficulties. Look, but he gets, he's got something. He says there's something bigger happening. He says in all this weakness, in all this trouble, in all this hardship, in all this people talking bad about me, I've realized something. When I am weak, then I'm strong. Why? Paul's picking up his cross. Paul's, Paul, Paul was such an intellectual theologian, he could have destroyed any argument someone had against him. But he said, no, 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 no. I choose to delight myself in weakness. I choose to delight in insults and persecution. Come on, bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for the challenge we have of picking up our cross and following you. Father, we thank you, like Paul says, may we come to this place of realization that when we're weak, we're strong. Where we can't see a solution, you have an answer. Father, help us. We rest in your strength. We rest in the fact that we have situations in our lives we can't fix. There are people in our life we can't fix. Oh, Father, we rest in you. We trust you. We look to you. We refuse to let that circumstance overwhelm us anymore. We say, no, 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 no. You're a good God. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Father, may we experience that this morning. In our weakness, your strength is made perfect. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen.